Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 11th, 2015. I get emails all the time from people who ask how to put things across to people as to regardless of what's really happening in the world, what has happened in the world, because it's a steady progression that we're living through. It's a big agenda, of course. And they get so frustrated that people either can't understand what they've been told, even if facts are produced, written historical facts and so on. It really doesn't matter to them because we've been under incredible, incredible techniques of psychological warfare and training and indoctrination from birth for quite a long time now, from the, really from the, the, the 50s and then the 60s onwards, it's sped up. And people don't realize that big powers are at play to ensure that, that the correct kind of populace across the world exists, believing in the, the correct values they're given and it's drummed into them to believe in. And even the enemies that they're taught to hate are drummed into them as well. And there's been a tremendous move from simple free thought and discussion into really a a massively well-organized system of interconnecting sciences and forces to create, as I say, a kind of docile planet that really is pretty ignorant. And like Sunstein said, with his nudge book and so on, and they can send into people through early training, indoctrination, and even fiction too. Because when you see emotion put into fiction to give up, get a point of view across, uh, it can really, it really embeds itself very, very well. And it's very difficult to to start rationalising your way out of it. It's a Pavlovian response that's set in you. So when certain topics come up, you shy away from them, and you feel guilty that they're even being brought up and things like that. And, and understand too that many people can get carried away with things that their pet peeves, their pet hates and so on, and they can't be trusted to an extent with with a lot of other facts that might add to, to ammunition in a sense to what they're particularly hating. So you have to be awfully careful when you're discussing what's really happening in the world, why the globalization, how did all that start uh, etc. And you can't overload them with too much information, which is called a scattergun approach, where you, where you fire off a thousand different topics on different areas of the, of the whole thing, and, and you totally confuse them. They, they switch off. They can't absorb it, obviously. And we know, too, that people's attention spans have been dropping for a long time. From television, really onwards, their attention spans are dropping. And they need visual content now, even a, a little sock puppet, you know, a sock on, on someone's hand to watch as they hear something being said. And that's sad, but it's true. And MIT and various other organizations and universities and so on are done, they're constantly studying us to see how we react to things and how well things are working. It's quite fascinating, really. It also tells you, too, the top universities are given access, free access to all your data as well, your emails and so on. It isn't just the, the government agencies. So we're living in a totally controlled society, whether you know it or not. And lots of people will never, ever accept that, even when they're in it. 
it'll be unbelievable for them to accept. They can still go off chasing for flying saucers and alien theories and things like that and, and think, well, I can do what I want, so no one's watching me. Well, you're, you are getting watched, but they don't care about you watching those things and looking for those things because it doesn't affect anything at all regarding the big agenda. And that's how things are operating today. I can remember the inquiries they had in Britain. You had uh, the Levison Inquiry and so on. Another one in Australia and other countries too, where laws were set regarding reporters on even mainstream and in newspapers as to what they could say, what they couldn't say, how far to go with things. And now you find really that um, that what's called news today is, is minimalistic. It's still skewed in a politically correct way because no reporter wants to get fired from his job for a given a point of view or an opinion. So uh, things have really plummeted down the, the tubes and uh, you have this vast organization of many what's called left-wing organizations too, all working together, interconnected, getting funded by the big foundations and so on to police everybody else, you see. The trouble across Europe right now with the mass immigration, and you understand that there are reasons behind the mass immigration from the various countries, and it's not economics, just economics or economic um, refugees, as I want to call them now, and it's much, much, much bigger. And you have to go into the histories. And many of people followed, for instance, after World War One, the push for world government. Many people did. Uh, you find that um, the League of Nations, etc., really went through the horrors of the First World War. And you remember too much of the footage, the film footage of World War One is still classified. It might be forever classified, I don't know. Because uh, they, they don't show you the occasional soldier going across the battlefield amongst thousands of others and falling. Uh, they show you whole regiments getting mowed down in seconds. And then the next bunch were thrown in. And this is all sides as well. And it was a horrific thing, a, t- a tremendously horrific thing. And they thought at the time, that the public uh, would go berserk if they actually saw it. Because the public at that time, I don't think there was anyone in the main European countries who hadn't lost relatives, and sometimes the whole darned male part of the family were wiped out during World War One. Horrific it was. And it also wiped out a good part of what was, at that time, the middle class, the emerging middle class, and young professional people, uh, it wiped them all out completely and set the countries back an awful long time. So there are many, many factors involved in why people got behind another group's idea to bring a world government in, you see. There are many reasons why, and if you were alive at the time, you might have backed that yourself. It was a horrific time. Horrific. And then you went through that, then you went into World War. Well, even between the wars, you had the Soviet Union that was slaughtering millions internally by this, this control freak, I mean, utterly dictatorial, ruthless bunch at the top ran the Soviet Union. Millions were slaughtered from all the, the Warsaw Pact countries. Horrific. And that, that's how I talked about then it comes to World War Two, and then we're back into the same fray again. And, and more and more folk were slaughtered and slaughtered and slaughtered. So 
for many people, it seems quite logical to bring in a global society. And for those who, for those who control it, want to control it all, with, that means finances uh, the, of all the countries. And I'm talking about like organizations like the, the Rollins Sheet for International Affairs, uh, the ones that set up the League of Nations, they set up the, the United Nations after that, and all the, the myriads of banking institutions that are supposed to take care of the whole world's finances. Uh, that's complete power. But also they, were, they wanted total control of the minds of emerging young people and generations. Therefore, you always find in history the greatest excuses and logical excuses can be used for nefarious ends. They always have been. From the earliest conquests in ancient times by, by early empires, they always put in their own history books, they went off to civilized barbarians and things like that. They never mentioned the fact that they, were all, they already had a dominant uh, uh, merchant class, banking class, financial system that wanted to grab the resources of other countries, and so on and so on. So it's a minority, a dominant elite to call them, a dominant minority, uh, living in Rome itself, could live high, uh, high on the hog, way above everybody else under that empire, through taxing everyone else. And that never, ever really changed. And you, you can go through the British Empire system. Same tricks were used again, off to civilized people. Or what they often used when they conquered countries, they were going to bring peace to countries that were in strife. But then you went deeper into the books, beyond the, 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 the early education that you get, you go into the deeper education and higher education, and you find that Britain was famous famous, with other countries too. Holland did it with their Dutch empire. Other countries did the same trick, France and so on, where they'd go into a place, they'd finance some local Raj or whatever in India, and um, they'd get them fighting with someone else. They'd, they'd arm them. We see this going on today. They'd arm them and get them to fight neighboring tribes, for instance. And then when they did one against the, the tribe, they call it balancing the power. When that, that one that you help becomes dominant, you then flatten them by financing someone else and bringing them down. So, every, so no one can remain dominant for any length of time except to ruin the empire that, that's causing all this strife in the first place. And then the empire moves in, a, 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 in total with its troops and to bring them peace, of course, you see. And they dominate the whole darn country. This is an ancient technique, and it's always been used. I can laugh my head off when George Bush Jr. <laughs> read off his Pat's answers, all written by his advisors and so on, in his scriptwriters forum, of course, naturally, as to why they were going into Iraq. And they even had articles in the Canadian papers that, that have the Americans forgotten that Afghanistan was a country, supposedly, that was responsible for 9-11. That's what they were told. But they swung the gun sites via propaganda in the media over about a year's period onto Iraq. And then they flattened that country, again, to bring democracy. Democracy to a country that they hadn't a clue what democracy meant. A completely different history, completely different culture, and so many different factions that where they need a strong man 
to keep them all in their place so they're not slaughtering each other. And look at the place now. Now We've freed them all to slaughter each other by bumping off the strong leaders from Libya all the way to, to Iraq and so on. This was well understood before they went in. And bringing in revolutionary democracy, as they called it, by sending troops and forcing them to try and be democratic, was all a joke, really. And it was an absolute joke for the public to believe in. Uh, they knew exactly what they were going to do. Uh, Kissinger and other ones said that their long-term plan, if they were totally in charge of it, would be to literally flatten those countries, have them all fighting each other forever within a country, and they could never stand up in a unified fashion to fight any invaders from outside, like occupying troops. <laughs> and they've got their wish, of course. So the biggest thing, and you got to remember about propaganda, it's far more important. Most propaganda is actually given out to fool the domestic population that's sending in the troops in France and all. Now, whether you cause infighting in countries and arming different factions to fight each other, it's no different than what you can do in economically as well by supporting economically one faction against another, etc., etc., and you find the same technique as there's economic warfare. It's a very old technique as well. And it's still in use today as part of training in them, the officer in military colleges and so on. Economic warfare, all different kinds of warfare that can be used and are used. And you forget, too, uh, that you then take this world power, the one that was set up to be the, the embryo and the coordinating umbrella you might say, for all the various groups that were authorized and well-funded by your tax money, non-governmental organizations which you do not vote in, and most of them are totally ignorant of, in fact, and they also get funding from the big tax-free foundations. So you forget that they're all involved with their own particular little agendas, you see. So you have infighting even amongst many of the NGOs for financing and all the rest of it. And they, they have a, a race, you might say, a competition to see who could be more politically correct uh, to get more financing as to what they want to do. And there is such a thing as, as very, very evident today as political correctness. As Sunstein said, this technique of training the public through various means to shy away from thinking too deeply about certain things or asking even questions um, and creates the Pavlovian response We just set back to default position The default position is a position That's been instilled into you by her masters basically The mind masters So we really, really have a hard time thinking for ourselves Most folk really don't you're, Yeah, you can make your little decisions As to what you want to do Your free time today Things like that And look at your favourite uh, um, sites uh, or, or movies or whatever it happens to be But uh, that's as far as most folk go So they do think they're free They have no idea of this incredible war Which they definitely are involved in Because they're, your mindset is part of the product of it You see, it's been instilled into you So, as I say, when you're trying to educate people Don't, don't overload them Like some manic uh, person just prattling off all kinds of things you've heard uh, they can't absorb that but even if you're perfectly rational uh, you can't absorb it and you'd think the person would be a bit strange 
especially when it's put over with such passion, you see. Uh, just too much passion, like the person's kind of strange, that why are they so upset when they're telling me all this stuff? That kind of thing. Be very careful how you do it. And don't waste your time when you know right off the bat there's no point in telling them anyway. Why upset your day? Why upset their day? It's going to do no good. But remember, there are many factions at play in the world. Many, many factions involved in this global structure. And certain ones have been given priority as far as managing our minds than other factions by this big world power. Now I've done enough shows to do with the setting up of a world state run the proper way by the elitists of the world. And there are different factions involved in the elitist group. They have monetary factions, they have academic factions, big time nowadays, and, and so on. It's, it's very, very long. So I won't go into the makeup of it, because uh, it would take way too, it's a whole, it's lectures in itself. But when you go into the different factions, as I say, you, you, you'll see that um, some of them want really to dominate again other people themselves as a group. Never forget that. Never forget that. It goes in many different ways than you would imagine. Remember, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is only one of the latest so-called free trade deals. I've done free trade on ad nauseum over many years, and the powers behind it, long before NAFTA even, and North American Free Trade Agreements, all these I've gone through them ad nauseum. You'll find them if you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com into the archive section. And I've used all the factual literature. There is not speculation at all. So that's this present Trans-Pacific Partnership and all the other transatlantic partnerships that are getting amalgamated all together at the same time, mind you. It's just the, the next, we call a push. It's the next push to the next stage too. And it's accompanied as well with mass immigration into countries that once were countries. And remember, what is a country? Look up the definition of countries. It tells you what a country is defined as, or was defined as, because it's changing as we speak, big time. It's not people who who, who share the same common ancestry anymore, uh, the common culture anymore. Common religion was one of it too, uh, for, for many countries, and things like that. So there are many reasons even for bringing in mass immigration, and it's part of it again, there was thought that if there's always going to be ethnic conflict, which makes sense, remember, if you go through the mass wars we've had in the past, world wars, then the people who set up the League of Nations, many of the followers and supporters, not the ones who ran it, but the ones who followed it, really thought that, well, if we can just all just get along, so that old, old story, if we can just get along, we'd be fine. But remember, even some of the leading factions who are bringing in this world order, don't want to get along. They also want to dominate. Human nature doesn't change. Doesn't change. There's always someone want to dominate, or some group want to dominate. It's always been this way. As they point out every other group's uh, problems, they themselves want to often dominate. So, so there's many, many players here. There's many dogs in the fight, as they say to see who's going to eventually dominate at all, you see. And since many of them can cooperate up to a certain level, they're all cooperating at the top, 
And eventually, one day, there'll be a, a war amongst the dominant ones for total supremacy. There's no doubt about that. Now, when you remember the PNAC group, the Project for New American Century, who published this agenda twice back in the 90s regarding the countries they wanted to take out across the Middle East and elsewhere. And they went through the list of them. They wanted Afghanistan. They wanted Iraq. They wanted Libya, uh, Syria, and so on. All in the list. And what I've found in my lifetime is when big powers plan something, I mean the world agenda, they never back off. They never alter their plan. They might, it might seem to you it's gone quiet for a few years here or there, but they're still working at it and, and getting all prepared to do what they want to do. And they always do what they want to do. And that's one thing I've found in my life. There's never been a big project a big project that's taken years to prepare where they've turned around and, and just chucked it out the window and says, no, it won't work. They, they simply don't do it. And the scariest thing today is that the very techniques that we saw in the old Soviet system and the horror stories that came out with millions being killed internally in all the, their Warsaw Bloc countries the same techniques and the same intolerance is being projected across the West. It's now worldwide. And don't forget that many of those who ran the Soviet system left the country and were leaving the country before the wall came down because the people inside Russia had pretty well had enough of being dominated. So we're seeing exactly the same techniques being used Today, on what you to think, what not to think, uh, what's safe to think, etc., uh, etc. Et and when you're in that state, you are under, uh, you're not in a free society. You cannot pretend anymore that you're in a free society. Can't do it. I can remember the old soapbox characters in Hyde Park in London, and you'd pass by them and be all kinds of characters. Up on the soapbox, giving their points of view on whatever it happened to be. And some were crazy and some were not and so on. And it was just fascinating to listen to them all because you got such incredible points of view that you'd never considered before. And whether you digested it and then kept it or tossed it out, it didn't matter. That's freedom of speech. That is freedom of speech. And if you want to label somebody a crackpot, uh, you, you don't have to punch them out and be angry with them. You, you just say, oh, that guy's a crackpot. And that, you've made your own mind up, hopefully, you see. I say hopefully because today it's very hard for most folk to make up their own mind. There's always somebody who else who wants to control it. And never forget that. Never forget that. You're born with incredible gifts of thought. But today, under the, and it's been this way for quite a long time, with the dumbing down of education and everything else, and the total propagandic system we're living in today, an indoctrination system worldwide throughout the schooling system, not by chance, most folk today don't realize that um, they really don't have freedom of thought. They really don't. Freedom of thought means you can take your own opinions. 
in conclusions. I mean, you come to your own conclusions by looking at everything, everything there is, and coming to your own conclusions about things. That's true freedom of thought. That whole idea came out of the Enlightenment long, long ago. For the first time, folk could express themselves and think for themselves. It doesn't matter if it was wonky or a bit nutty or what. It didn't matter because many of them were correct as well. You must have that in a free society to have a free mind, you see. Now, propaganda wars are nothing new. Nothing new, but they're more intensive today. You really have no independent free news sources anymore. Everything's standardized across the board. And um, if, you, if, you go, if you look at, for instance, this article here, and they talk about Russian airstrikes on territories controlled by rebels fighting against the Syrian government, having given the public backing of the country's president, Bashar al-Assad. Now, I've heard the propaganda again about the, 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 the Assad family, and so on. But as I say, you're looking at countries that have a vastly different history than yours. Vastly different. And there are many factions, many, many factions living together in certain countries that are kept in peace, a form of peace by a strong man. And you need the strong man. You really do. When things don't make sense to you, if you get into... If you're into a country to, 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 to create peace, you don't slaughter thousands of people. You don't slaughter thousands of people. I almost fell off my chair when Iraq, before they bombed it out of existence, when you had people coming out and saying, during the, the starvation period through the embargoes that the UN had placed in them all, they couldn't get food in, they couldn't get sell oil out, they, they, they couldn't get medicine in, and over, well over half a million people, mainly women and children, young children, died. And that was acceptable to some people, like Madeleine Albright the time, that's what she said, that's quite acceptable. So you're going to say people, under their pretense, this guy, who, who, the strong man in Iraq, has, has killed so many people. And again, too, they pick arbitrary numbers like everything else, just like global warming, they just pick them out of the air, of course, and tell you this is fact. Even if the guy had killed a few hundred a year, he didn't go in with a whole army and bomb them into the Stone Age and kill well over a million people. Think about that. Think about it. And remember, within those countries, there are people who want to take over themselves and be the strong man are very common as well. And that's why a strong man is pretty ruthless in those countries. And there are so many factions, even within the Muslim community, that believe you me, you need a strong guy to keep them all in check. And then they have a form of peace, and commerce can go on, and money can circulate, and so on, and things can go reasonably well. Same thing with Assad in Syria. But Syria, again, was on the list of the PNAC group, the Project for a New American Century, of the group with Bush Jr. and around Jr., so they've never given up on it, you see. And we've had all the articles come out over the last few years where the West definitely has funded what's called insurgents. There, there, there are good insurgents, though, who are, who are anti-Assad. None of them come, most of them don't come from Syria at all, but they're good guys. Well, why would you be supporting a guy or a, a, a faction that doesn't come from the country who are in there trying to destroy a country? 
where prior to all this stuff, there was peace within that country. Where there were various groups all living together and not killing each other. And they were prosperous, you see. It's because there's a different agenda at work. Who benefits? Who benefits? But anyway, this article goes on to say, Assad said in an interview broadcast in Iranian television that the attacks must succeed by Russia or the whole region could be destroyed. He said the Russian campaign has the potential to do so because it's backed by Iran and has international support, if not from Western countries. He said it must succeed or we're facing the destruction of a whole region and not a country or two. The chances for success are large, not small. Assad called on the nations that support their armed opposition to stop in his first comments since Russia launched an intensive air campaign against rebel positions in Syria Wednesday. Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, has said the strikes are targeting Islamic State and other militant groups, but critics have suggested their focus has been on anti-Assad fighters rather than ISIS. Well, who's, how can you, aren't the ones, the Islamic State bunch, aren't they the anti-Assad groups? That's what they're there for. And they're from all over, different countries. During the interview, Assad head out of the West, accusing it of fueling terrorism by supporting rebel groups and ultimately causing the refugee crisis. Well, they knew all this before they started funding the groups, the Al-Qaeda groups that changed its name when it suits them, because uh, the public get to know who's behind it. There's too many articles on who was funding uh, Al-Qaeda and who was giving them the arms. It says here, too, that he said the West's failure to achieve its goal in Syria had forced it to change position regarding a political settlement that included him. Assad insisted that it's up to the Syrian people to decide who rules the country, and that's how it should be, and under what political system, not foreign leaders who decide, you see. What is for certain is that the Western officials are lost, lack clarity of vision, and are feeling the failure of their plots towards Syria. The only goal that was realized is the destruction of much infrastructure in Syria and shedding lots of blood. And I'm telling you, this idea of, of this global society, this new order of things, as I want to call it, and balancing of power under one system is utterly bloodthirsty and ruthless, folks. Ruthless. And I'm sure you'll, you'll be seeing it at home as well, down the road. I said years and years ago, uh, the, if you launch the big, the big war-making machine, given a culture who's trained it to dislaughter and slaughter, eventually works its way back round to you, the country that sends it. And that's a sad truth, a sad, sad truth. The U.S. should know that, for instance, because the founders of the U.S. had lots of debates about a standing army. They said, because they knew the history of Europe, where standing armies had always been used eventually internally on their own people. That was the history of Europe. So, I'll put this article up tonight. And then, of course, you probably all heard the thing from the general propaganda reports that, that Russia had also bombed civilian targets. And it comes out, Putin attacks the U.S. information warfare. Civilian bombing reports emerged before he started the strikes. <laughs> And it's, you know, this week will go down in history as a time that Western hegemony died in more than one sense. Russia's President Putin delivered a landmark speech this week at the UN General Assembly where he truly humiliated Western foreign policy decisions in Syria. 
Since then, Russia has began to launch airstrikes and all forces destabilizing the state of Syria. This led to an incredibly embarrassing response from Western mainstream media, claiming that moderate terrorists... Now, what a lot of rubbish. This is moderate terrorists. How can you get moderate terrorists? Are these guys that... They don't just uh, cut your head off, they just cut your throat. Is, I mean, is that what they mean by a, mo- a moderate terrorist? Huh? Do you understand the Orwellian speech we've been given and fed daily now? As is enter Putin again, who has now branded those reports information warfare. The reason why is because those reports emerged before any Russian combat missions had even started. It says this means that not only has the Western state government's hegemony suffered a huge setback this week, but so too has the hegemony of mainstream Western media outlets. Mainstream media has for too long held itself as unassailable and untouchable. Putin just changed that by exposing the fact that such outlets are used in information warfare for wholly nefarious purposes to further the political agenda of a state. Well, to be honest with you, they always have been. Not sure yet, you know. Since the idea of information warfare, particularly governments using media outlets to disseminate disinformation, will be entirely alien to the vast majority of the general public. But perhaps this open attack on such tactics from Russia's president may yet be another catalyst which serves to wake people up to this tragic reality. And it's from 21st Century Wire. So... (laughs) What do you really think about governments working in cahoots to deliver propaganda to you? Not pure propaganda. What do you really think about it? Remember, if they're doing that to you on various topics like this, don't forget they're doing it on every other front that they give you as well. Don't forget that, folks. Don't ever forget that. Now, tonight I'll also put up an article, which again is by a magazine, and the magazines are allowed to push whatever spin they want on something, because they, well, they always do, don't they? I've gone through the history of even the setup by the Rockefellers and so on, way back in the 30s, to decide how many newspapers they would need to run to create a common um, ideology across the country on various topics. But they also came out with various magazines too for different classes, even ones for the civil servant branch for to make sure they got the right propaganda. Everything is propaganda. This article is about why Canada should celebrate the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I'll put that up. And why it's a a win for Canadians. Now, (laughs) I've lost count of the years I've been at this. And again, I've gone through the whole idea of the global society first setting up uh, trading blocks, free trade deals. That's how they started off. Oh, it's a trading block, but it starts with a free trade deal. And then the amalgamation of the economies, which requires a standardized uh, legal system to amalgamate all the different legal laws and so on, to do or legalities to do with economics, etc. And, uh, and, uh, and eventually you have a super government like that Europe has, and then the super government will be under a world government, not too far off now, I think, to be honest with you. You were pretty well there, except for the title coming out openly and telling you you're under it. It's, it's pretty well there. There's no doubt about it. Look around you. But anyway, Canada has almost completely deindustrialized since the first free trade deals. And 
most countries who join them in the West go the same way. That's part of the deal. China was set up by the big global financial elite to be the manufacturer for the planet. I said that years ago too. Everything you buy now is from China, as you well know. And Canada and other countries were slated for raw resources, and that's what Canada does. Most of the mines in Canada, I think maybe all of them, send the raw produce of mines to China. And they get smelted down for, for iron and various other metals and all that kind of stuff too. The rest of it's lumber, you know, the timber industry, and things like that. Because we were turned into a service economy. A service economy loses out in every possible way because you're not manufacturing a product, an end product, and taxing all the different stages it gets up to to make that product. So the tax base gets shifted onto the taxpayer, the consumer. All that money that governments are losing. Plus all the import tariffs get abandoned, you see. And each time they make trade deals with other blocks of countries, they eliminate, for big corporations that is, the taxes, import duties. Countries used to survive at one time on solely, pretty well, import duties. That's why the taxes for the public were awfully low and and people went to places like Canada. But each time they they give up uh, import duties from other countries, they they need the money because they want the money. They're always in debt, they claim. And they shift the burden onto the taxpayer individual taxpayer. So it's not a win for Canadians and every honest economist, if you had him on a, on a privately and not being politically correct, he'll tell you the same thing. He or she'll tell you the same thing, uh, that you need to be a, a producing country. Producing country. Uh, but part of the idea of this too for the world government system, the world economic system, is also that if you can't produce anything, then you can't go to war, you see. And if one of the first things they have about being a nation is that the government must have taxation abilities to create their own armaments and all the rest of it. That, that kind of stuff. You see how it works. This was all discussed at League of Nations, by the way, 1919. It's not a win-win deal at all. And then you get another article here. It gives a different opinion. Historic Pacific trade deal faces skeptics in the U.S. Congress. And it says 12 Pacific Rim countries Monday reached the most ambitious trade pact in a generation aiming to liberalize commerce and 40% of the world's economy in a deal that faces skepticism from U.S. lawmakers. Now, I've told you, too, that under the United Nations agreements and the World Trade Organization, the so-called first world countries have to subsidize the up-and-coming countries, and the up-and-coming countries can sell their stuff to you, coming in free, but you will be taxed on, on sending your stuff into their countries. They, you will be subject to import duties if you send from your countries in the first world. That's part of the deal. Now, the third world countries are also allowed various privileges, as I say, as we often pay to put in factories and so on for the international corporations that already exist, you see, and they move over there, and we pay for their building of their... Of their, of their their factories and so on, and we can even subsidize the wages of the workers in those countries. It's just incredible what the public does not know. It's incredible. And they can pollute as much as they want for so many years, you see. And then I remember the one with China, for instance, I think it was for 15 to 25 years they could, they could go on and open up coal mines and things like that and still pollute 
while we supposedly uh, get punished in the West if we so much as breathe too heavily and now with CO2 and so on. Then, and, and then if they, if they still decided in those countries, like India too, that if um, they can't manage with restrictions at the moment, that economically they could extend it for uh, another uh, 15 to 25 years, whatever it happened to be. It's just incredible what the public are not being told, you see. Instead of it's supposed to be a hurrah, hurrah, hurrah thing. And with the international trade comes international law. The World Trade Organization, another private institution they don't vote for again, uh, set up again by the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs, and headed by the Trilateralist Group. It's all one group, really, at different higher levels of them. Then, you, you, what can you do? You don't vote for any of this at all. And you seldom hear about any of it in newspapers. You might hear the name Trilateralist, etc., if you really search and search and search. But they don't like to publicize it because they don't want you to know that often unelected people who are attached to government are the ones who push all these big, big uh, projects worldwide because they all belong to the same group with a very old, old ambition of world government and world economic system. A world, the World Bank will be really a world bank, uh, not just the one that loans out the cash and demands high interest rates in return. But the Bank for International Settlements, again, they run all that. Same group. One private group runs it all, folks. Members of it runs run, run all of that. So anyway, everything is pretty well disinformation, honestly. It's just so sad. It's so sad. You can't really... Uh, you've got reporters now who, who simply can't say too much because they're terrified of getting fired. That's a sad, sad, that's a scary situation when you live in countries now where some reporters will tell you on the side that that's why they go along with that they're scared stiff, you know, scared stiff. Other ones are quite happy because they get paid well enough to, to be propagandists. Other ones, too, uh, too also believe, if, if they're really up there in the media, that uh, the public don't really have a right because they're too simple. People are, are simply too simple within the general public to understand the big pictures. And they get all upset and there'd be arguments and fights and all the rest of it. They're, they're, that's how they talk about the general public. I often liken it to uh, someone coming along and they see cattle in a field and they kick the legs of the cows. They break them and down goes the cow. And then they blame the cow for not because it can't get up, and they kick it all the more. They, they loathe it, in fact, to an extent. Well, that's how they've trained us to be. And then they loathe us has become more elitist, because most folk don't understand what's going on. They think they do, and they're quite happy in their own little world that's been given to them by by their their mind managers. And uh, and they, they, they despise ordinary people. They honestly despise them, honestly. In fact, that that first article I read about why Canada should, should celebrate uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership it actually says in the article uh, that most big deals are done in secret, and that's the best way to do it. Secret from the public, you see. It, it's just incredible. It, it really is incredible. To quote one line from it here, it says, Trade deals are never successfully negotiated in public. Huh. 
but it's too simple to understand it. It's your future. It's your, if you've got children, it's their future and so on. It doesn't matter. You're just too simple to understand these things. So it's all done in secrets. Well, what else is done in secret, folks? Pretty well everything that matters. Now, it's no secret, too, to people who, the ones that are awake in Britain and are aware of things. And Britain used to have, again, a lot of free thinkers. That's what made it interesting at one time, but that's been stamped out for an awful long time now. Free thinkers. So they knew uh, the cons that went on. They knew, for instance, and I knew, uh, that we've got stacks of old books here, uh, published in Britain, to do with the big eugenics movement in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, and how from right up to the World War I, and then at, they started again after World War I, where the, the elite said, oh, there's just too many, too many people being born, and but the, the, the war didn't kill enough of them. They actually said that in their books. These were from lords and people like that, you see. People who didn't really identify with the people because they're better blood. They actually believe that, folks. You see, that's the, again, humanity doesn't change. And, and this in, incredible egotism that develops with people who are awfully, awfully rich for a few generations uh, is, 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 is scary stuff. Scary, scary stuff. They become such elitists and they actually believe that eventually, just like ancient Rome uh, and the nobility there thought they were all descended from the gods. You, you know, it's the same. Th- Humanity is rather sad, isn't it? It never changes. So anyway, it says Britain faces £90 million pounds asylum seeker bill from the EU, even though we opted out the quotas. Then it goes through the usual... You know, Britain's been taking in people for, for so long now that it's not Britain anymore. Everybody in Britain knows it too. And it's part of the plan as well. The countries that were involved in World War One and Two uh, would be deculturalized completely eventually, and to an extent, bred out, kind of like the Norman uh, invasion of Britain and um, the Prima Noctua, where the Lords Nat would often uh, say, "Well, if we can't meet them, uh, behave themselves." Uh, and obey us and get down their knees to us as conquerors, then we can breed it out of them. It's, it's much the same idea. It's the same idea. Nothing changes. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing, nothing new under the sun. And remember, too, uh, since we're pushing and pushing and pushing, and we had all the different books came out, even into the 50s, with Charles Galton Darwin in his book, The Next Million Years, talking on behalf of the elites, uh, he talked about reducing the population, etc., and the ideal size of the average family, even just at or below replacement level. He never once mentioned that they bring in all the immigrants because that's how much debt to pay. That's another trick that they use as well. Well, So everybody behaves themselves and they don't have children, you see, or have fewer children, and they're being good, 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 as they're trained to be. And they say, well, there's not enough of you to pay off the debt. Even Margaret Thatcher said that. So we'll bring in all these immigrants. They know darn well there's way more to it than bringing immigrants simply to, to, to pay off your debt, especially when it's costing you so much cash at a time when you're broke, when you're absolutely broke. And the bankers love it at the top, the big boys, the really big boys, because you're off cap and hand all the time borrowing money. So, but there's a bigger agenda behind it all. Then you have uh, various other articles about it too, to do with Finland. I mean, Finland... The people in Finland have stood up at the borders there and says, no, we don't want them. They, they actually like themselves and their history and their culture. But you see, all that's to be stamped out. 
That's the bottom line. It's not because they need immigrants in to, to, to pay off debts. No, no. There's a bigger, bigger agenda, folks. I hope you understand that. Here's an article here. And it says here, posting xenophobic views online in Germany could cost you your job and child. It says these individuals who choose to share radical or xenophobic views. Now, xenophobic, xenophobia, if you actually read anthropology and, uh, and social democratics, uh, demographics and so on, you'll find that uh, they have no problem in academia talking about, say, China. Are very, they say the Chinese are very xenophobic. They like their own people. They like to be with their own people. And, and, and they don't really like outsiders. That's taught in anthropology and, and uh, social sciences. And other countries do the same thing too. Well, some are allowed to do it now, but some other ones are not, you see. So you understand that there's, and again, there's a lot of dogs in the fight here too. It says, so, so by the way, so if you liked your country and your history, and you've got a song, long, proud history too, uh, even if you're dirt poor, you still feel something to the land and to those around you and, and, and so on. Millions of songs have been sung about it, folk songs that down through centuries and centuries of all the countries. That's what happens. You, you love the place you're born and your granddad, maybe even your great-granddad and yada, 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 and what they went through. And all. It's all part of what makes you, you, you see, and your history. But it depends who you are now, if you're allowed to, to be proud of it or not, or, or even just say, I like it, I like mine, you see. And that's not the way to do things. Immigration has always been there, always been there. But immigrants were always brought in in certain quotas so that they could integrate into what was your culture. That was the idea. If you don't do that and you bring them in en masse, they'll live in their little areas because the ones coming in like their culture. And they'll, they'll dislike you. Never mind the fact that a lot of the countries they're bringing in from now uh, will definitely have internal terrorism here and there. As, as they come in with them, they come in with the so-called so-called refugees, even though it's really economic reasons most folk are moving into it, and from, from countries that are not being attacked. But anyway, it says it's not clear how radical opinions will be defined. And of course, it will be made quite clear because, there are, again, there are other groups who are out for themselves who want to dominate and be the top dog. You always find that in history. But simply by expressing discontent with Syrian refugees living nearby or making threats towards asylum seekers, parents may accidentally push things too far. Dewelt reported, saying that the Deutsch and Waltz's Kunft information portal of the German Lawyers Association, controversial political or religious sentiments from a parent will have a direct impact on the rights of the child if the child's welfare is endangered thereby. So if, you, if the child hears uh, the parents discussing or giving an opinion on something and it gets back to the authorities, uh, then they'll take the child from you. It says a family court will have to clarify where an action endangers the child's welfare Indeed, and whether termination of parental rights is necessary. It says the decisive factor is common sense, says Eva Becker, chair of the Working Group on Family Law and German Bar Association. She told the German Daily. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has been quoted as saying she wants more action from Facebook when it comes to filtering hateful racist posts. 
Now again, remember, it's that this, this article says posting xenophobic views online could cost you your job. And then they turn it into racist. If you, if you like your country, you're a racist. So that's what they mean, that's what they mean by right-wingers, some people who like their country and who feel at home with their own people. And this is more if the people are made up from integrated immigrants down through the centuries. doesn't matter. They're still your own people. It says uh, Merkel was speaking to CEO Mark Zuckerberg on the sidelines of the UN summit in New York. Her request could be heard on live transmission broadcast seconds before the introductory remark at luncheon on Saturday. And uh, anyway, you think all this stuff and you're going to be more freed up with the internet. <laughs> There's more policing done on the internet than you'd ever, ever imagine. By every governmental agency across the planet. Uh, and, and by, again, selected NGOs and all the rest of it too. Yeah. And, the, and a lot of the universities as well that work with government. Facebook has recently pledged to boost efforts to fight racism online amid criticism. Earlier this month, the company announced its, its cooperation with the German internet watchdog voluntary self-monitoring of multimedia services providers to keep close tabs on hate speech posts. Now remember too, it can come down to a simple point of view, a comment, or even a question. And even expressing your question could be classified uh, as radical, you see. That's where we are today. We are in the system today, and I hope you realize this, that people in in the old ex-Soviet Union were in. And that was a horrific system. Where folk were just whisked off the street, a private little group would try them, and that was you, off to the gulag or, or executed on the spot. You should see the movie, uh, The Lives of Others. It's very well done. And there's also the Soviet story. There's different ones out there being put out by the ex-Soviet Union, by the people there who want the public to know what really went on there. It's just incredible. It, it truly is. And it says here, uh, again, it goes on and on in this particular article on, on what's happening there. But <laughs> for folk who went through the Soviet Union, I'm not kidding, the slaughter went on internally, quietly. It was just incredible. There was no... There was, you had no rights, you see. If you disliked something, government was up to even one policy. Not, not all of government, just one policy. They, they would say you were mad. Obviously, you had to be mad to criticize government since it was the best in the world. That's how, that was your diagnosis, and you're off to an insane asylum. And, and they, they drugged you for the rest of your lives and, until you were a zombie. Or off to the gulag. Professors, everything, off to the gulag. And that was it, you see. And we're seeing the same kind of thing building up in the Western countries, not just on this particular area, but on every area of free thought. Every area. This is German government hires ex-Stasi agent. Now, the Stasi were the secret police uh, that just twist folk off and, and often talk and utter torture was awful. There was even some U.S. diplomat at one time who was put in uh, one of these camps for years and years, a diplomat in the U.S. tried to get him out for years, and he talked about this, the, the, the folk getting bumped off, left, right, and center, executed, and incredible torture went on. And we can see it all here. 
ex-Stasi agent to patrol Facebook for xenophobic comments. An organization run by a former Stasi agent has been recruited by the German government to patrol Facebook in a bid to stamp out xenophobic comments. Those caught posting material that the government disagrees with are likely to face criminal prosecution. Now, that's, that's what I mean. Is it government's responsibility to tell you what you should think about and what, and what, you know, and what not to think about? And what to speak about and what not to speak about? Is that, is that what governments are really for? Think about that, folks. So, <laughs> material that the government disagrees with. So they have a particular policy, and you must parrot their policy, or else it's, you know. Germany is set to welcome one million new immigrants this year, a move that has not been without controversy. Determined to see his fellow Germans embrace their new multicultural homeland, Justice Minister Heiko Maas has decided to crack down on those citizens who criticize the influx especially those who take to their own private Facebook accounts to do so. Masses recruit the help of an organization called Network Against Nazis. So now if, if you like your country and you like your nation, you're a Nazi. You see, this is, again, the smear technology of just using a really, really nasty, evil kind of word and labeling it on anyone who, who simply has a, an opinion, contrary to, to the, the correct opinion. Anyway, says to Aiden, his crackdown is called NAN for short. NAN was founded by, and according to his website, works in partnership with Amadeo Antonio Foundation run by Aneta Kahani, who between 1974 and 1982 worked for the Stasi under the codename Victoria. I wonder how many folks she was responsible for getting slaughtered and tortured. Can you believe that in this day and age? Last week, Mass wrote to Richard Allen, Facebook's public policy director who's based in Dublin, to complain that not enough has been done to root out xenophobic comments on the social media site Deutsche Welle reports. The implementation of community standards uh, can apparently not be relied on, Mass said. Uh, even though many posts contain comments that constitute the criminal offence of incitement to hatred. He reminded Facebook of its legal obligation to delete posts which fall foul of the law. And it goes on and on and on. And uh, can, you, can you imagine hiring people who were hated and utterly feared by terrified people during that, that whole era, that long, long era? And as I say, this Kahani worked for the Amadea Antonio Foundation. It says that the Amadea Antonio uh, Stiftung is one of Germany's foremost independent non-governmental organizations. So she's now working for, again, these famous non-governmental organizations. How can any non-governmental organization help to indict members of the public when technically they should, have, they should have no power at all? But they're being appointed by the president of countries. Emphasis working to strengthen democratic civic society, eliminate neo-Nazism, right-wing extremism, anti-Semitism, and other forms of bigotry and hate in Germany. It was founded in 1998, and the foundation has funded, funded more than 770 projects and campaigns in pursuit of this goal. It brings direct support to victims of hate-based violence and promotes alternative youth cultures and community networks to weaken the social structures that intolerance and racism need to survive. And uh, and on it goes, but I'll put that up tonight too. I just it's scary that when you when you see people like that being 
being a, a Stasi member, for God's sake. You can go in and find out about Kahani uh, in the German wiki and have it translated. Uh, I mean, I can't believe it. Can you imagine if they actually did? Suppose in a country today, because of all the incredible uh, movies and so on about Nazism, if governments employ, employed a, top, a, a Nazi in a secret place, in the Gestapo, there'd be a massive outcry. You better think about these things. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Because this stuff's coming all over the place. And Google's in it too. Everybody's in it. And, and again, I remember reading an article uh, a long time ago. It was to do with self-policing, how they would train the public. It was, it was from the United Nations, I should say. And it was how they train the public to self-police their own thoughts. That's called stunting your growth, your own thoughts, your own mind. And that's, that's, been, that's been pushed a long time, you see. And people that now do, again, that's the whole trick of neuroscience and, and training the public that um, you find Sunstein and others are involved with. Think for yourselves, folks, and because I'll tell you, the time is running short to have opinions about anything, even if you're not radical, even if you don't uh, hate anybody. It's not safe now. And I mean that sincerely. It's not safe really just to think for yourself anymore. And, and that's going to get an awful lot worse. An awful lot worse. Anyway, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, school with you. <laughs>